Stand up. I hope I hope you're happy you came. Hopefully, if if not, you'll be happy by the time you leave. Um, let's open up our hearts and welcome the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning. We we invite your presence to move among us, to speak to us. I ask you to anoint me with light and fire and the spirit of truth. And, Father, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to bring an unveiling of mysteries that will be impactful. Anything that I say, Lord, that has eternal value, let it just expand within our hearts. Whatever I say where I'm misunderstanding or stumbling, I pray, Lord, that it will just follow away and be forgotten. And we thank you for this in Jesus name. And if you can agree with that this morning, just say amen and be seated and fasten your seatbelts. I want to look at two things. I want to look at two passages from Paul that are radically changing my thinking. Um, I don't know how I didn't see it before because I preached from these passages a ton. But uh, I guess I was locked in some traditional boxes. So if I shake up your traditions, um, you know, the Bible says you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So if you get shook up, you got something in you that's not kingdom. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's true. Colossians uh, chapter 1. Verse 12, Paul, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. I want you to focus on that phrase, the son of his love, the kingdom of the son of his love, right? Now, he's talking about the son of his love when he says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he's also talking about the son of his love when he says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and this phrase, in him all things consist, or or in him all things draw their existence from. So he not only reveals the son of his love as the originator and source of all things, he reveals him as the sustaining power in all things. The sustaining, the vitality, the sustaining life that is in all things. So really what he's saying, if we just read it, (laughs) that Christ or God the Son, if you think about it from a Trinitarian perspective, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the, the Son, Christ is the Son expression of God, right? That is the the matrix out of which everything came into existence and the power and the vitality and the life that is sustaining all things, giving them their present existence. That's radical. It's what he's saying. So the point being, this is much bigger 
this concept of who Christ is or him or the son of his love is much bigger than Jesus of Nazareth. I'm not taking away from Jesus. Well, I guess I am in a sense, but I'm not taking anything away from him that the Bible does not give him. We've added things. Here's what I mean by this. John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And without him, and by him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. Everybody said with me, in him was life. And that life is the light of all mankind. Right? And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Then he goes on and says, he is the light that gives light to everyone who comes into the world. And then he says, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the word becoming flesh. Got it? Or the, the human expression of the fullness of who the Son is. Now, stay with me. I, I promise this will get good and apply to you in a minute. But I, we've got to get this in our thinking to understand who we are. And then he goes on now down to verse 24. Let's just jump down there real quick. He says, I now rejoice, Paul says, in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, we come from a culture that says this <laughs> book the Bible is the Word of God. Paul is talking about something else. Because he doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't have a New Testament. He can't turn to Colossians and find out what he said. <laughs> so when you're reading the Word of God in the book, it's not talking about the book. <laughs> so Paul defines it for us. What is the Word of God? Watch this. The mystery. Everybody say mystery. Which means secret, right? The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So who's the hymn that he preaches? Not Jesus of Nazareth, the historical person, teachings. Paul, in Paul's writings, you almost never find a reference to an event from the life of Jesus. The one exception is the, uh, uh, the Last Supper. Other than that, there's no reference to Mary and the Christmas story. There's certainly reference to his death and resurrection, but he doesn't really mention his teachings. He doesn't mention his miracles, his healings. So the hymn, the word of God that he's preaching is not the message of the historical person of Jesus. The hymn that he's preaching is the Christ that's in you who is the hope of glory. I'm not making this up. That's what he says. Him we preach. The mystery, the word of God, the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. So in other words, what Paul is opening up for his people, he's not trying to persuade them of a, a historical event that happened in their own generation. He's trying to persuade them of a mystery that goes back many generations. 
So he's not, he's not getting hung up on the historical person or the historical event. He's, he's, he's trying to open up for them who they really are. So that they can experience it right now. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the gospel. This is what the Bible teaches. Let's see it again in another place. Come with me to Ephesians. Now here's our problem. If we think everything hinges on the person, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, then what is Paul talking about? Just ask yourself that question. If everything in the gospel hinges upon the person of Jesus and what he did. God, I feel like a heretic saying these things, but just just ask yourself this question. If everything hinges on Jesus and his death and his resurrection... And that's the main thing, that you become persuaded of the historical facts. Then please somebody explain to me, anybody, what Paul is talking about when he says the word of God that he preaches is something hidden, is Christ in you, and Christ in you was something that was hidden for ages and generations before Jesus was ever born. Explain to me what he's talking about. I would like for you to explain it to me. Maybe what Jesus was doing when he said he was the light of the world. He's the light that gives light to every person. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Maybe he was revealing that what was there before. Listen, Paul didn't say this came into being with the person of Jesus. This came into being at the crucifixion. This came into being at the resurrection. He doesn't say any of that. You cannot hide something that does not exist. He says it again in Ephesians um, chapter 3. Verse 8. Now, in, in chapter 2, before we go to Ephesians 3, chapter 2, in chapter 2, he's saying the resurrection is not a historical event. The resurrection is something that happens in you. <laughs> in, Ephes- in Ephesians 2, he says, You who were once dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this age, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, but God who was rich in mer- mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. And he seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All of it past tense. So he's saying you don't have to necessarily become persuaded of a historical resurrection. You need to get the revelation of the resurrection that's already happened inside of you. You don't need to get a a revelation of the Messiah that's outside of you, which is what the word Christ means. You need to get a revelation of the Messiah that's inside of you. You need to quit looking for something outside of you for power and salvation and revelation and understanding. And you need to realize that the Savior's inside you, the Messiah's inside you, you, the resurrection's inside you, the light is inside you, the life is inside you, the glory's inside you, and once you realize that it's actually in you and has always been inside of you, then you can connect with it and manifest the power and the glory and the wonder of it. He's actually trying to untether you from time and space. 
The church wants to tether you to time and space by making the main thing a historical event. Paul's trying to do the exact opposite and say, yes, this happened, but I'm not going to tether you to this. I'm going to set you free by realizing that what's demonstrated out here is actually a revelation in time and space of the eternal reality of what's already inside of you. And if you see that and don't be tethered to time and space, but become liberated into eternity, then you enter the kingdom. Alright, Ephesians 3. To me, verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To make all see. Not to bring something into existence, to open your eyes. To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. (laughs) To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which was accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through Him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart in my tribulations, which is for your glory. Not for God's. I mean, you just take that verse, you're going to mess up most religious institutions. For your glory. Most people don't even know they have a glory. Or are entitled to it. Or authorized in scripture to experience it. Therefore I ask you to not lose tribulations or lose heart uh, at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit where? In the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now watch this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the prayer chain. Is that what it says? According to the right method of prayer. According to using the name of Jesus at the end of your prayer. Is that what it says? No. According to the power that works outside of us? No. The power that works where? In us. Why? Because it's all about this inward stuff. Paul's praying that you'll be strengthened with might in your inner person. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And once that happens, now to Him who is able. Who's the Him? Who's the Him that He preaches? Christ in you. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all you can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church throughout all ages. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who is energizing and empowering me. 
See, he's trying to connect you back to the source. In him, all things originated. And in him, all things are sustained and consist and hold together. And you are complete in him. You are connected to him. (laughs) But you don't see it. You don't know it. It's a mystery. So therefore, Paul says, what's been given to me is to labor so that all can see and it can be revealed to all and all can come into the knowledge of who they are and what they have inside of them. And when they do that, they'll know what is the height and the breadth and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And when that happens, the the the, the, the God in them will begin to manifest and shine forth. And when that begins to happen, now there is a power that's at work in you that can go and take you beyond anything you ever dreamed you could possibly have. That's what Paul's saying. Where are we hearing this in the church today? Where is this even being preached in the church today? Well, thank you. So I'm going to bring you back to this point. Okay, so what? So how do we practically start to access this? How do we practically start to access this? What is essential is you start looking in the right place. If you're going to find anything, you've got to look where it is. Right? I, I don't re- I don't remember where I put it. You ever hide something from somebody in the house and you did such a good job you hid it from yourself? Like you ever find Christmas present that you brought two Christmases ago and you're doing your spring cleaning? Oh, that's where I put that because you had to buy another Christmas present because you couldn't remember where you... Okay, welcome to my world. <laughs> So here's my point. We are taught to look outside ourselves. See, the word Christ means Messiah, or it means one who saves and delivers. So if you translate it right, what Paul's saying is the Savior, the one who saves and delivers is in you, not outside of you. The the hymn that's going to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you can ask or think is not a power working outside of you. It's a power that's work within you. The riches of Christ isn't out there somewhere, it's in you. Which is why we cannot lock it up in a historical event. If we lock it up in a historical event, we lock it up in time and space, you don't have access to it. You ever heard this? Just just bring your burden to the foot of the cross. Right? And we we, we can preach this stuff and and people buy into it, but do you ever think about the mechanics of it? Bring your burden and lay it at the foot of the cross. Bring your bitterness and lay it at the foot of the cross. Bring your heartache and give it to Jesus. Okay. All right. So then we get the, we get Philip on the piano and we start singing, Just as I am without one plea. Or whatever. Amazing grace. Saved a wretch like me. And people come down and they... How does that even work? 
Because first of all, there ain't a, the, 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 I mean, even if we had a cross, it ain't the cross that Jesus hung on. Even if you go to Golgotha today, you can't lay it at the foot of the cross because the cross happened 2,000 years ago. So how do you take something inside of you and put it outside of you someplace that doesn't even exist except in memory, in history books? How do you do that? You don't know. And then Sister Sally, if there's a Sally in here today, I'm sorry. I, just, I apologize. Sister Sally stands up the next week and says, Oh, I went down forward and I gave my burden, laid it at the foot of the cross, gave it to Jesus. I was so worried and I got a job this week. And everybody's like, oh, wasn't that wonderful? Or, oh, you know, I was so full of peace. I was so worried because I wasn't, didn't know how I was going to feed my family. Didn't know what I was going to do. I came forward. I put my burden at the foot of the cross. I felt relieved and I got a job this week and everybody cries. And, you know, that's wonderful. And, 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 and then, but how did she actually take her burden and lay it at the foot of the cross? She doesn't know. Nobody knows. She never tells you how she did it. So then you think, well, I need a job. Maybe if I go lay my burden down. So what do you do? You just sit there at the altar and think, okay, think to yourself mentally. Okay, I'm laying it here. Imagine it in your mind. Guess what? If you're imagining it in your mind, guess where it's happening? So it's not happening outside of you. Get it? It's all in you. If you're going to begin to access it, you have to quit looking at something other than you. Something totally alien or foreign to you. Paul says, we were alienated from God in our minds. Guess what that means? That That word alien means something totally other and different than you. So when we preach a God that is so holy, that He's so other than than you, that He can't stand to be in your presence. Can't look upon your sin, because He's so holy. But He's omnipotent, He can do anything. I mean, do we ever even think about the stuff we say? How inconsistent and incongruent, and what a real mind game it is. I had a different word in my mind, but I can't say it in church. Sorry. Sorry, Mom. You see it? So the first thing you got to do is you got to shift your focus. You got to shift your focus and realize that it's in you. It's connected to you, always connected to you. Never other than you, never separate from you. Can't be given to you from the outside in. Can only be discovered what's already there. It's you're the field that the treasure is buried in that Jesus is talking about. You're the sea that the pearl of great price is buried in that Jesus is talking about in his parables. It's not outside of you. It's within you. You've got to start looking and affirming. So if Christ is going to dwell in your heart by faith, it's very, very simple. Just some simple steps. You quit looking outside yourself and you start looking within yourself. You quit affirming and participating in activities that are with a God that is other than you. Oh, wow, that sounded... 
heretical, but it's true. You see it? So and, and I quit doing this thing where I, uh, how I feel or what I'm thinking or, because here's the thing. You get lost. You hide your, all right, all right let's, let's do this. All right. Let me explain. You hide that from yourself because you get lost in the mental games of who you are and the stories that you tell yourself about who you are. You get lost in it. You get lost in your story. You get lost in your negative thinking. You get lost in your worry. You get lost in your anxiety. You get lost in your... And then feel like those things are real. And so somehow you feel disconnected. Somehow you feel powerless. Somehow you feel ashamed. And so therefore when somebody comes and says there's something outside of you that can take away that shame, it resonates with you. But when you participate in that, you are actually strengthening the illusion that has been created by the shame in the first place. You're denying the Christ in you and you're saying this shame is so real, I need something outside myself to save me from it. And you play into this mental game and you lose sight of the glory of Christ that is inside of you. So Paul's a, Paul's a Jew, right? And he does have the Old Testament. And when he's using the word mystery, he's talking about a Jewish idea that there are secret things that God hid inside the Scriptures that are not apparent upon the literal surface reading, but that require either that you be initiated into them by a teacher or they be revealed to you by the Spirit. Are you breathing? One of these is found in Deuteronomy 19. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 20:19. Just listen to the verse. God speaking here, he says, When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy the trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege. For the tree of the field is man's food. The tree of the field is man's food. Now, if you have a good translation, it will have food in the italics, which means it's not there in the original text. What it actually says in the Hebrew is, you shall not cut down the tree because the tree of the field is a man. The tree of the field is a man. Everybody breathe in? All right. Here's why this is important. So trees come to represent people. Even Jesus talked about this. He said, when he's talking about false prophets and true prophets, he said, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. John the Baptist talks about this. The axe is laid to the root. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down. Right? So what does Adam do? Adam is made in the image of God. He eats at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from a good and evil perspective or a polarity or a positive negative perspective, a mind that goes this way in the positive direction, that way in the negative direction, he begins to evaluate himself through that lens in the mind. So what does he do? 
He hides himself from the presence of God. Where? Among the trees. And what do the trees represent? According, What's the key to interpret? According to that verse in Deuteronomy. What is it? Man. So whatever my concepts of myself have been because of the culture and the history and my interactions with people become the very thing that hides the presence of God that's always been inside of me to begin with. So when I get lost in my story, when I get lost in my history, when I get lost in my positive mind that is come dreaming up all kinds of great things that I'm going to do, when I went to my Anthony Robbins seminar and my thing got me all pumped up and power positive thinking and so now it's going that way, that's the good part of the tree because remember, he ate at the tree of... And what is a tree? So I'm going to develop this good guy over here and I have all these standards, all these positive, all these great things I'm going to do, all these dreams, all these, all this stuff. And then I got this other mind running over here, which is calamity. That's actually what it means. The tree of the bless, of the knowledge of blessing and calamity would also be a good translation. So now I'm afraid of all the stuff that's going to happen. Oh man, let me, let me come over here and tell you about all the things that hurt me in my life. Let me tell you why I'm, I'm anxious because I'm afraid bad things are going to happen. Let me tell you why I'm anxious because, dang, you know, I was abused as a kid. I was bullied. I didn't go to school. I don't have an education. I can't get a job. And you go off in this direction. And then somewhere, and, and these are all branches of those trees, that Adam, who is the image of God, he's the image bearer of God. He has the life of God inside of him. The breath of God inside of him. And he loses himself at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then hides himself from that presence. If you could think about the garden as your heart. And the Lord walking with you in the garden in the cool of the day. The word there for cool is the same Hebrew word for spirit. And the word for day there just means the light. And you run from that light and you run from that presence that is inside of you. And hide yourself in all these false identities that you've created for yourself based on your personal subjective experiences. And God comes and says, where art thou? I was afraid and I hid myself. So you really got two beings inside you hiding. You've got Christ hiding in you. And you've got Adam hiding from Christ. And the work of reconciliation is to bring both out of hiding so they can be blended and integrated. And when that happens, power and glory and love and all that stuff becomes released inside of you. That is the kingdom that's inside you. And Jesus represents the human being who never lost himself in the trees of the garden. Amen. And because Christ is the son of his love, then to properly understand 
the Trinity, what Christ is, is the full expression of the giving and the love of God. So Jesus was abiding in that place of love. And so much of what he was teaching us was teaching us how to come, how to find our, how to find ourself within ourself. So that the higher self, which is Christ in you, and the lower self, which is represented by Adam hiding himself in the trees of the garden, could be reconciled at the tree of life. And that's a reality that has existed from the beginning for generations and ages that was hidden but is now made manifest in the mystery of the Word of God. Can I give you one quick example for it? And then again, so, so here's the point. Okay, let's do it this way. Let's look at Moses for a minute. You know Moses, right? Moses is what nationality? He's Hebrew. And he's raised by what? In what house? All right, now watch this. I'm just going to run this through you real quick. So he leaves Egypt, right? And he meets these women who are trying to water their flocks. And there's these, I think they're Midianites, who come and harassing these daughters, right? And verse 17, it says, Then the shepherds came and drove them away, meaning the daughters. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, Watch this. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. Why didn't they say a Hebrew? Why did they say an Egyptian? Because in his mind and in his culture, he modeled himself as an Egyptian. So even though his natural birth was Hebrew, the form that he took outwardly was that of an Egyptian. See it? Now watch this. Next thing that happens. Chapter 3. Now Moses was tending, verse 1, the flock of Jer- Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the back of the desert and he came to Horeb the mountain. And watch this. And the angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire from the midst or the center of a bush. But bush is a really bad translation. It should be a tree. Where's the fire? In the heart of the tree. So he looked and beheld the tree was burning with fire, but the tree was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight and why the tree does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look... God called to him from the midst or from the heart of the tree and said, Moses, Moses, and Moses replies, what does he say? My my version says, "Here here I am. 
here I am. Got it? Now watch this. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. Moses, in the center of the tree, in the tree of the field, is a man. In the center of the tree is a fire that talks and burns, but does not consume the tree in which it is in the center of. And Moses is wandering in the wilderness, not sure who he is. Is he a Hebrew? Is he an Egyptian? He lost Pharaoh's house because he empathized with the Hebrews and he killed an Egyptian and he tried to bury it and run from his past. And here he's doing all this stuff. Then he sees a tree that's burning and not consumed. And he hears a voice call his name, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. And then he says, who do I say sent me? And our translation is... I am who I am, but, but it's, it's hard to translate in English. It's eheye in the, in the Hebrew. It's, it's, it's I am, I am. It's, it's, it's total self-expression and being. It, it is I am without the sentence completed. It is I am without the sentence completed. And there's two. And then he says, when you go, tell him, one I am sent you. Huh? You see it? It's the tree of life. The tree burning in the center calling Moses out of the trees of all his false identities. I am an Egyptian. I am a Hebrew. I am a murderer. I am a shepherd. I am 80 years old. I am slow of tongue and slow of speech. I am the least qualified. Send somebody else because I can't do this because I am. And then he says, well, tell me, he wants to know the name of, of a God outside himself. And what God does is he reflects back to him what, Mos- what Moses said about himself. When he called Moses by name, Moses said, Here, I am. Who sent me? I am, I am. Amen. You say, I am sent you. Amen. Why? Because Christ was in him. Because it was, it existed before generations and ages and from the foundation of the world. 
Christ in you. So how is it that Moses could part the waters? How is it that Moses could do the miracles? How is it that Moses could set the captives free? It wasn't, listen, listen, we miss it. When he's at the Red Sea, when he's at the Red Sea and he parts the Red Sea, this is the greatest miracle that Moses did. One of the greatest miracles on record of all time, right? He's at the Red Sea. Do you know what happened at the Red Sea? Moses didn't have a clue what to do. And you know what he does? He starts to pray. God deliver us. God do this. Why? He's praying to something other. And you know how God responds? God doesn't say, okay, Moses, get ready, I'm about to show out. <laughs> Go back and read it. You know how he responds? He says, why are you crying out to me? Why are you bugging me? <laughs> then he says, stretch forth your rod. Why? Because it's the power of the I am presence working in Moses that has the power to work the miracle, not the God in heaven someplace. But here's the key. So the first thing you got to do is turn within and affirm within. All this is in me. Christ is in me. The Savior is in me. The glory is in me. The presence is in me. The light, the fire that does not consume the tree is in my center. Not in my head. Not where I lose myself and all this stuff. But in my heart. Right? In my heart. And then, the only, how do I get to my heart? I have to take, I have to quit closing the sentence. I am. In other words, the moment I answer who I am is the moment I lose who I am. I have to discover in the center of my being an I am that always was, that always will be, and that is not tethered to any human concept or experience that is locked into time and space. That's why the ancient mystics talked about the mystical journey as entering into the cloud of unknowing. The cloud of unknowing. I know myself as this. I know myself as that. And all those things are limitations. And somewhere along the way, I have to begin to surrender You know what? So what was the first miracle at the burning bush that Moses had to do when we're done? What was the first sign that he got? Took his staff, right? Threw it on the ground and what happened? Became a serpent. Do you you know what what Bedouins, what shepherds would would do with their staffs? They They would write their story so that their history would be recorded on their staffs, which is why the rods were often passed down. For generations. So here's Moses leaning on his story of his own subjective personal history, depending on it. 
And what happens? God says, when you get to the presence of God, the light of the burning bush, what's the first thing he has to do? He has to quit leaning on it, and he has to throw it on the ground. And what happens? It turns into a snake. (laughs) Turns into a serpent. And where was the serpent in the story? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does he do? He withdraws. He draws back. You think he's drawn back from the snake, but he's playing out the story of the garden. He's drawing back from that holy place and from the presence of God because his personal history is so serpentine he can't reconcile who he knows himself to be in his personal history at the tree of knowledge with who he is in his eternal self. And what does God do? He invites him back in to get a handle on who he is. Because once he can get a handle on who he is and bring the two I am's together, then that rod becomes a rod of power. So you don't lose yourself in the sense that you lose your identity and your personality and your personal history. What happens is it no longer has the power to define who you are and where you're going in your life. And when that happens, it becomes the suit that God wears through which miracles can intervene into time and space and change history and set people free. Can you see it? Let's stand up. So again, training yourself. Simple, right? I'm trying to give you simple, practical stuff too. Training yourself to stop looking outside yourself for Christ Jesus. (laughs) And realize that Christ Jesus is not just in you. He, in a very literal sense, He, He is you. He, He is the spark of divine light that is inside your soul that's been hidden all the time and you just didn't know it was there. And when you give attention to it and you start to let go emotionally and mentally of who you think you are, and you begin to affirm, I am, I am, I am, I am. I am. I am. Really simple, but really powerful. Because a whole new world will open up inside you. Place your hands on your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the light of Christ. That is my true essence and my true identity. And I'm asking right now for strength and power from your spirit to help me to leave the trees of the garden, to shed all the false selves, to deal with my own personal rod of history. 
and subjectivity in the light of who I am because of who you are in me. I stop looking outside myself for solutions, comforts, power, glory. And I affirm, I am. Last thing, it kind of brings a different meaning when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, what, 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 can, I just, can I just, real quick? We said that that's the historical person, his, what he's going to do, right? We, we, we put things on there. If you don't believe he died for your sins, all that stuff. But he, he is transcending history when he says, I am the way. He is transcending history when he says, I am the truth. And he is transcending history when he says, I am the life. And he's pointing you to this process inside you and saying you can't be reconciled to the Father if you don't understand the I am presence is the way back into the garden, the truth about who you are and the presence within you that releases life. God bless you. Have a great day.